Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Mets fans, and welcome to the Happy Recap Radio Show for this April 30th of 2017. I'm JB, <laughs> along with... <laughs> you got it. Uh, as you, you can know, tell, we've got a history game in the background. We've had a history of this radio show of opening the show a couple times to just some really funny moments, or not funny, but catastrophic moments in regards to the Mets baseball. Uh, one, I remember infamously being, before the theme music was over, a Grand Slam walk-off hit against us. Well, literally 10 seconds before we got on the air, I asked you if Anthony Rendon had gotten to his 10th RBI. And as he said, good afternoon, he indeed hits a solo home run going back-to-back-to-back to back to back against Kevin Pilecki. Yeah, whose who's ERA is now just you know, just through the roof. I mean, you know, you just you, you can't use him again. And uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it uh, it's funny. You, of course, I'm on a little bit of a delay thanks to the watching the game game across the web. But uh, we're definitely going to talk about this weekend series. But uh, I think the, the the best thing we can do um, at this point is let's look at the major topic of the day. And of course, the major topic of the day with this with this team. Continues to be injuries, 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 and hey, when you got a break, another injury. Uh, and we've got our good friend Dr. Slen Perek from the Fantasy Doctors, orthopedic surgeon, and uh, general expert on all things awesomeness as regarding the sports industries joining us. Dr. Perek, how are you today? Good, guys. How are you? Yeah, we've been better, I think. <laughs> yeah, when, exactly. When your, team's down, kind of a... when your team's down 23 to 5 and your catcher's pitching, it's just not not going to be a good day. But let's talk about <laughs> let's start by talking about what got the Mets partially into this position today and that there's a catcher on the mound and that is for lack of a better term the antics of one Noah Syndergaard in relation to his injury. Let's talk a little bit about what got him shelved the other day and kind of the progression that led to him, you know, refusing an MRI and then apparently injuring his lat today. Right. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. So he has this elbow shoulder thing going on and they're trying to rehab him and they're interested in getting an MRI. And, and, you know, the, the, unfortunately the team docs, uh, the, the trainers, nobody can force the athlete to get any kind of treatment or any kind of uh, diagnostics if the athlete doesn't want to do it. And more often than not, we see athletes say, sure, get the MRI, get the get the uh, CT scan, whatever it is, because they want to know what's going on with their elbow or, or with their injury. But I think what's happening with Syndergaard is that, you know, with the history of injuries, my gut feeling is that, you know, you can say you know your body, but no one really knows exactly what's going on. And just from reading it from the outside, I think what he was hoping was that some rest – a little bit of rest and he would be okay and try to muddle through the next few starts. And clearly today shows that there's more going on there than, than Syndergaard really appreciates. And I expect him to get, to get an MRI tomorrow. I got involved in a pretty lengthy uh, social media debate on Twitter this afternoon regarding exactly what happened with the injury today. And if he had the MRI 
and the MRI had come up clean, which we can only speculate that, about that at this point, whether or not he would have actually injured himself today, or was he trying to compensate for the injury that he had, and that's what ended up giving him the lat injury today. Yeah, so I think what happens here is that he probably has more going on with the shoulder, I mean, sorry, with the elbow than he believes, and now I'm sure he'll believe it. But what you probably saw today on the mound in, the, in that you know inning and a half that he pitched was that when you've got a bad elbow and you're a pitcher, you start changing your mechanics, and that leads to other issues. And there, then you start seeing the lat become a problem. Um, he can start putting more issues on the shoulder. And if it wasn't his lat, maybe later on, if he, had, he if he had made it deeper into the game, maybe his shoulder would have started bothering him again even more. So. It's it's just a normal body's way to try to compensate for injuries and take stress off that area. And when you're a pitcher and you need that elbow to work, you're doing all these weird things to get that ball, you know, down the line as fast as you can, or, or you know, to, to home plate as fast as you can. And, and he struggled. Well, when you when you look at Noah and you you look at the the um, the, the fierceness, um, you know, that he obviously is a fierce competitor. He wanted nothing to do with. Uh, yeah, you know, really anything regarding the MRI and and fought that off and and successfully, obviously as we know. Um, one of the things that uh, Noah was noted for doing is putting on a good amount of bulk this off season, bulking up uh, fairly significantly uh, in the muscle department. There's been a lot of talk about a lot of the extra training that uh, ball players are doing in the off season, especially regarding weight training, uh, not just programs that the team provides, but on uh, on their own. There are some people, I think, you know, looking for, I mean, of course, we're New York fans. We're always looking for who to blame. I'll be honest. That, that's right. just who we are. <laughs> um, but is there any correlation as time has gone on with these pitchers especially? Because, you know, Tom Seaver, no Tommy John surgery. Nolan Ryan, no Tommy John surgery. Is, is there any correlation between these advanced weightlifting and programs that these guys are doing, these conditioning programs, and, and the continual increase of injuries? So there's nothing that's been proven in the medical literature, but you can imagine that as these guys, so I'll give you the two, two sides of the argument. The one side is, you know, you bulk them up, you make them stronger, and so they're not relying as much, for, especially for a pitcher, as much on that ulnar collateral ligament to give the stability to the elbow, but they can actually change their mechanics of throwing, and so they're using more of their rotator cuff. They're using more of their lat, and they're really ch- taking some of that stress off the elbow so to be able to still pitch at the same or higher velocities with more control and more command and therefore putting on some of that bulk and doing some of that weight training uh, in, in, the, in the other parts of the anatomy that are involved with throwing would be beneficial. So that's the one side of doing it. The other side of the argument is, well, wait a minute. You put more weight, you put more, more um, mass on these guys, there is now much more velocity and much more stress going through their joints. And, you know, unlike a muscle where you can bulk it up, you can't bulk up ligaments. They are what they are. And so what you can do is you can protect the ligament by trying to bulk up things around it. But the bottom line is if that ligament, which is fairly small when you look at the whole arm, when it sees more stress, it has a higher chance of popping. And so, you know, those, there are two sides to that, to that argument, and the medical literature, as of right now, is not very clear on which side is the correct side here. You know, as Mets fans, it's kind of sad that we've had to become experts in a lot of things that I never thought would, would come up in my life, such as yellow fever, 
hyperthyroidism. I mean, we, we've had to research a lot. So obviously today we all turn to our Google machines to, to research uh, lat tear and what the type of recovery is for that. And I, uh, I came across one study that I guess 29 pitchers had it treated very conservatively, whereas one had it treated surgically. For the most part of the 29 who went through a very conservative route, it was about 100 days till they were back in action, whereas the surgical patient uh, had complications and it was actually 140 days. But in your experience with a, a typical lat tear, are we looking at about a three-month recovery if that is what, what Noah gets diagnosed with? So, uh, you know, you're going to get that MRI, and the MRI is now going to include the lat. And they're going to want to grade the strain. It's just like hamstrings. You're going to grade the injury. And if it's a grade one, you're looking at about a two- to four-week timeline, and then grade two is about a four- to six-week. And then grade threes put you up above that six-week mark, and it can be up to 12 weeks. So it really depends. And, and for a pitcher where you've hurt the lat on your throwing side, it, it can become even a longer timeline. So 100 days is not out of the question here. But, again, I think that has to be more on the serious end. I wouldn't be surprised if the MRI shows that, listen, there's more going on in that elbow, and that's the bigger concern. He's got a mild lat strain, but but I'm just speculating here, but I think there's gonna, that we're going to hear more about this elbow than anything else. Well, that was going to be my next question. Should the, uh, the, the letters TJ be in, ingrained in every fan's mind to be fearful of hearing in the next couple of days? Well, it's always fearful. Anytime you hear pitcher, elbow, I don't care what it is, the first thing that should go through your your head is Tommy John surgery. So, um, you know, we know he's got the bone spurs. We know he didn't need surgery for that, and that's a good thing. But, you know, oftentimes bone spurs, not only can they happen just because of the uh, pitchers putting a lot of demand on their elbow, but you can also have bone spurs forming because you have some arthritis going on in that joint. And... You know, yes, Tommy John surgery and ulnar collateral ligament is probably the number one, two, and three thing you need to be thinking about. But then some of the other things that as a surgeon I want to see and hear about is, you know, does he have any arthritic changes going on in the joint, and that's causing him more of the issue? Or does he have loose pieces of bone floating around in the joint, and that's causing the issues? And so we really won't know until the MRI results, but absolutely the top things in your mind are ulnar collateral ligament tear, equaling Tommy John surgery for him. Yeah, that's obviously every Mets fan's worst nightmare. We've been through it so many times with so many of our young stud pitchers. We'd hate to see it to happen to arguably the best of the bunch. But I want to go back real quick. When we were talking about uh, the bulking up and whether or not that's a cause and effect of more pitchers getting injured, another thing that I wanted to ask was I was reading an article the other day. It's actually a few months ago because I forget what league I was reading it about. But whereas in this league they do not rely on pitch counts and – their pitchers are actually expected to routinely throw complete games or at least get very deep. I believe it was the, the Korean League that this is. And the, to have pitch counts of 120 on a regular basis is not uncommon. And what they found in this league is there are very few incidents of Tommy John being needed. Is that something that you feel has changed in the course of Major League Baseball and could be a cause of, I mean, not just for the Mets, but league-wide, all of the young stud hard pitchers seemingly going down at least once in their career to Tommy John surgery? Yeah, well, what's happened is that, you know, since we started realizing that uh, there are these major injuries, the ulnar collateral ligament injury to the the pitching, uh, well, not only the pitchers, but even a lot of these throwing athletes, one of the quick things that that was found out is well, maybe the pitch, the number of pitches being thrown has something to do with it. What we have realized, and, and if it was from Korea that they were talking about, it, is 
that's not the whole story. It's not just the number of pitches, but it also has to do with your velocity. It also has to do a little bit with your your body mass and how hard you're throwing. And and some of the most recent stuff is starting to suggest certain pitches are putting you more at risk for ulnar collateral ligament damage. So we don't know the full story yet. And, you know, 10 years, fast forward 10 years, it may be that not only do we have a pitch count, but we also have, you know, regulations on how many times a pitcher is going to throw a curveball or a, a, a split finger fastball or, or whatever it might be. But we certainly just don't know enough about this. And, and the pitch count was measurable. It was easy to figure out, easy to put a regulation on. But that's not the full story. It's certainly interesting because, I mean, you know, you, you talk about it, I mean, it. And to me, the, always the surprise, obviously, because we saw Tommy John surgeries, obviously, since the early 70s with Tommy John and well into the 80s, 90s and beyond. And yet the one that always seemed to throw the hardest and still get away with it was Nolan Ryan. It, was there something specific in his delivery that kept him from getting it? Or was he just one of the lucky ones? Well, uh, so that's a great question, and uh, and I don't, I don't think any of us know really the answer because I think it, again, comes down to a complex interaction between your anatomy, the, the mecha, mechanics of throwing, how hard you throw, and, and even though you take – if I took five pitchers who weighed, you know, 180 pounds and they were all 5'9 or 5'10 and I lined them all up, their anatomy and their and – the the size of that ulnar collateral ligament is not the same from person to person. And so we just don't know why, you know, you, you have some pitchers who throw really hard, who do great, and then you have these young guys who haven't really put the mileage on their elbow and their elbows are falling apart. It's, it's just a very complicated, I think, interaction that we, we just in medicine haven't figured out yet. And, and there's just like concussions for football, there's going to be a lot in the next five to ten years that we're going to be learning about uh, elbow injuries for, for MLB. Well, as Mets fans, we sit here today now, and the, the predominant question being asked is, now what? Uh, obviously, Syndergaard is getting a stint on the DL, probably should have, been happened, should have happened prior to today. And the Mets fans need to look at who they might have in the – in the backup reserves to, to come in and take that place in the rotation. And I know a lot of people are throwing around Seth Lugo and Steven Matz's names, but the, the most recent reporters, they're just starting to throw from the front of the mound. So at that point, you're still looking, I would figure, Doc, about another probably four to six, four weeks maybe? Well, I think for Matz and Lugo to be ready, I mean, they're just starting to throw from flat surfaces. Um, you're looking at two to four weeks for those guys to be available. Um, unless they have some, you know, phenomenal, you know, uh, training sessions and they get pushed quicker than they really should, two to four weeks before those guys are, are really going to be around. Well, we look, look at uh, looking at Lugo and Matt's real fast. Uh, we, we talked when we, when we spoke during the offseason, Matt's was one of those red flags he kind of threw out there as a as a player to kind of keep an eye out for, for you know, further injury. Um, do you see what happened to him this spring as, as an extension of that? And then the second part of the question with Seth Lugo, um, is the WBC effect real? Yeah, so with, with Matt's, the flexor tendon strain is, is all tied together. And luckily, it's not anything with the ligament, but, but you know, the flexor tendon mass that everybody talks about with him is, is lays right on top of that ulnar collateral ligament. And so 
extra strain with the mechanics and how they're working him can cause issues there. And so to me, that's all tied in together. It's obviously not, not as serious of an injury as an ulnar collateral partial tear or a full tear, but it, it, it's all lumped together and they're all related. Um, and so he had PRP and, and it seems like, you know, as of, uh, as of yesterday, I think he was, he was looking pretty good uh, throwing from flat surfaces. They're saying he's about 75% there. And, and, you know, another two to four weeks, he'll, he'll hopefully get there 95, 100% of the way. Um, with regards to Lugo, what were you, you were asking me about Lugo? Well, it's, it, obviously with the injury and, all, and, and the timing of it and coming right back into camp, it kind of brings up that whole scepter of the, the WBC effect, if you will. Um, since the injury seems like it probably occurred towards the tail end of that. I mean, what what is there? Again, it's one of those myths and legends, I suppose, that we talked about earlier, like with the weight training. But what what are your thoughts on the ramp up that these guys have to go to participate, in, and is it causing more risk for injury? Well, I think WBC, it's it's just like um, you know, getting uh, adding more pregame uh, preseason games to the NFL. Anytime you have guys out there working pretty hard earlier um, or even for longer in the season, you put them at risk for injury. And when you have some of your prized athletes out there, and they are at risk of getting injured. And so, you know, at the end of the WBC, he, you know, Luda was talking about the fact that he was feeling fatigued and his arm was bothering him. I mean, clearly that affected him. Now, whether he didn't have enough training leading up to it, and that's why you get it, or, you know what, He's just in the moment, and in, in, in the WBC, some of the guys are, are taking it as seriously as we want them to, and they're really kind of giving it their all, and so they're just not physically ready yet. Who knows? But clearly, anytime you have these guys out there in game situations and they're not fully ready and you're doing it outside of the regular season, you're putting them at risk. You know, you touched on a subject that I've, I've had a lot of back and forth about, and that is the level of intensity of these games, whereas with an NFL training camp game that sometimes you can kind of scale it back, whereas these guys, are, in a lot of cases, were treating these games as if they were playoffs or even World Series games. So the, the argument that I keep seeing going back and forth is when to actually play this tournament, because there's one school of thought that says play it after the season, but at that point you can argue the players are more fatigued, but by playing it preseason, right. before these guys have really had a chance to, to train their bodies and get back into game shape, and to go out and immediately play in such an intense environment that it might be putting on additional undue strain upon them. Well, and then you, you put on top of that that the, the American team has been uh, faring so poorly over the last few years that there's an added uh, element of pressure on these guys. Absolutely. So the bottom line is there is really no good time um, to have this game because just like you said, or the, this, this competition, because you put it up front, well, maybe, you know, they, you start seeing guys get hurt, especially the pitchers get hurt in WBC, and then they're not – really available for their MLB games. You put at the end, they've had a whole season worth of fatigue that's built up, and these guys are, are tired and they just want to shut down. So there's really no good time. The real question then becomes, for the guys, the athletes who you know will be participating in the WBC, do you pull them into training camp even sooner so that they have the time they need to ramp up so that when the WBC happens before the season starts, they're actually in normal um, normal status to, to be a, a regular team, a, a regular season status, 
and and they're they're ready earlier than some of the other athletes, but they're ready for the competition that they're about to get into. And I think that's the conversation that should be happening. Kind of moving over towards the offensive side, certainly it's not just been the Mets pitching that has had problems with injuries. I think the most one, the most notable one, however, is the the well, let's call it a yo-yo that we had a bit this week with Ioannis Cespedes, um, with up and down, up and down, basically. Talk a little bit about what is actually wrong here, and it feels like to me that it seems like with Ioannis specifically that maybe this is more than just a problem this year. It seems to be pretty recurring at this point. Yeah, so, you know, with guys, so first of all, hamstring injuries in general can become very problematic regardless of the sport, and they can continue to become issues throughout the season, within one season, if they're not rehabbed properly or they they aren't given the time to rest and recover. So that's within one season. Now, the bigger problem and the bigger concern from a training perspective and from a physician's perspective is when you see that same injury season after season after season. And now you start wondering, is there something more going on than, hey, this is a hamstring injury that just never healed properly? And the answer is absolutely. And typically what you need to start looking at is really the mechanics of play and the mechanics of hitting, fielding, running. And you almost have to retrain the athlete to change the way that they are doing things so that they are taking some of the, the, the pressure off of that hamstring. That's the first part of it. The second part of it, which is the more difficult part of it, is kind of returning back to our conversation on, on the bulk. And so the real question is, you know, is the athlete flexible and do they have the, the flexibility to not be injured as much? And if they are or not, do you bulk them up or do you scale them down so that they can get that flexibility and, and have less of a chance to re-injure themselves in a strain-type scenario? And, and, again, there are two sides of that argument. And so um, there is not great evidence on either side of that argument to really die treatment. It really becomes what is the philosophy of the, of the team, what is the philosophy of the trainers that work with those athletes, and the philosophy of the medical staff. You know, you mentioned that changing the way the athlete does things, and I think every Mets fan is going to hearken back to Jose Reyes, his first thing with the Mets when he seemingly – it seemed like at one point that Jose Reyes' hamstrings were going to cause him his career because it just kept knocking him out of that same specific injury, and then they changed his running style, which unfortunately the adjusted running style put added pressures on different parts of his body, which then ended up injuring him for lengthy periods of time. But then now, all of a sudden, it seems like when it comes to the hamstring injury that plagued Jose Reyes, it's something he's somehow managed to avoid. And I'm guessing that would be a byproduct of a different training regimen. Yeah, and that's what I think a lot of this ends up becoming. It's a different training regimen that changes their mechanics. And, and the, problem, the other problem that happens with, you know, when you work with these athletes and you try to get them to change the way they've been doing things for decades or years, the body has memory. And the body, if you don't keep hammering the mechanics and you don't keep hammering the changes in, in the way that you're running and throwing and jumping, your body over time will want to kind of return back to the way it was. So it, it's not just, hey, let's, let's retrain them and get them back out there and be done with it. It's let's retrain them, get them back out there, and continually retrain them and retrain them and retrain them so that you can prevent these injuries from happening. But just as you said with Reyes, I mean, sometimes what happens is 
you retrain them, and they start doing other things, and they start hurting other parts of their bodies. And, and so it, it's very difficult when you have these strained injuries that are recurrent that keep coming back to manage these athletes. So looking at, looking at this, another guy okay. who's had some, some pretty bad hammy injuries from back in the spring. I don't think any of us expected that he would be gone this long. We thought that he might be back by now. Talk, could you talk a little bit about what's exactly going on with Brandon Nimmo? Yeah, so I think his MRI came back as a grade two, maybe a grade three. And so that timeline is just a very extended timeline in general, which puts you usually six to eight weeks. And so it's not entirely out of the question that he's still out. Um, and so one of the things that happens with those grade twos and threes is you can scar down um, where the – so let me back up for a little bit. When you, when you talk about hamstring injuries or any of these muscle strain injuries – the grades really correspond to what's happening to the muscle fibers. So when you talk about a grade one, what's happening is those muscle fibers are stretching. A grade two is where it's a partial tear of those muscle fibers, and a grade three is where there are full tears. And as you increase in severity of the strain, you also increase the amount of scar tissue that's being put down. And as that scar tissue gets put down, it causes more tightness, and if you don't work through that, that tightness can, can, can change the way you run and, and the way you play, but also can actually tighten you up and lead you to further injuries down the line. So that's one part of this thing. Also what happens is as, as they have that grade twos and grade threes, sometimes it just takes a very long time to get that scar tissue to really stretch out and really kind of become pain, painless. And so when you have grade threes and you're talking about six to eight weeks, sometimes it gets extended to about three months or even more longer because it's not quieting down enough. They don't have the flexibility where it needs to be, and then strength not where it needs to be. And typically when we talk about these injuries, unless you can get them to about 80 to 85% strength of the bad or, or injured leg to the uninjured side, you hold them back and you hold them out. Last question for me uh, on the uh, Met injuries specifically um, is uh, on Lucas Duda who uh, had the elbow strain a couple of weeks ago and uh, was shut down in rehab. Talk a little bit about uh, Duda's injury, and uh, even though they're saying it's only for two or three days, should Met fans be concerned about a shutdown at this point? Yeah, so he had a hyperextension injury of the elbow, and, and if you feel the tip of your elbow, that, that kind of uh, the, the, the end of it, what happened is if, as you basically extend or kind of straighten out your elbow, that tip rammed into the, the upper arm bone, which is called a humerus. And so that can lead to some strain issues or even some inflammatory issues that can cause the whole joint to be angry. And so it should be just a, you know, a week or 10 days for this to really calm down enough that he returns back to normal. A hyperextension injury that is not associated with any breaks um, is, is not that big of a worry or concern. Well, my uh, my final Met question, I guess, would be, and uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Gun to your head, does David Wright ever play baseball again? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's done. And, you know, we touched upon this, you know, in the preseason when we were talking about it, and, and I just think that he's got too much going on at this point. You may see flares of him trying to get back, but I just don't think uh, we're really going to see him back. Definitely not in any meaningful way, but, but even he may never, you know, suit up again for a real game. 
Last actual question for me. While we're in this Washington series, of course, the, um, the, the Nationals endured the injury to Adam Eaton, which was certainly one of the more grotesque to watch occur that I've seen in quite some time. Um, talk a little bit about that injury real fast as an octave out for the season. And also the confusing thing to me about that was that when the Nationals first announced it, they announced it as a, a, a strain, which seems to be a far cry from a torn ACL. How, how are those yeah. two confused, I guess? That's my question. Well, well I will tell you. I mean, I, I, when we uh, did the video analysis, and we're usually about 95% right on that video analysis, I thought this was all going to be the ankle. There was no – and when you go back and look at the video, there really is no – nothing on that video that suggests there's anything that happened to his knee. So when the news came out that he was going to get an MRI in the knee, our whole team was really confused, and we went back to the video, and we just didn't see it. And, and not that, you know, this is where video analysis isn't 100%. It just, it just isn't. And so he gets that MRI of the knee, and that comes back as an ACL, and, and we're left saying, wait a minute, there's something still going on with the ankle. And so it turns out he has a high ankle sprain but the ACL tear as well. I think what they probably were doing is looking at what we were looking at, too, with the video, and you say, okay, he's coming back complaining of the knee. It didn't really look that bad on the knee, and, and it looks like he just has a strain of, of maybe a ligament, and you get the MRI, and you're like, wait a minute, this is a lot worse. He's actually torn 100% of that ligament, and, and now he's out 9 to 11 months, and the season's over. His uh, high ankle sprain, which they got an MRI on, and, and it showed that's going to be done within four days, six weeks. So that's not an issue here. It's, it's, it's all about the, the knee at this point. Well, we always appreciate the time, even with you, even if it means you're giving us bad news about our players, honestly, <laughs> really appreciate all the information that you give because it is extremely helpful. And you know, we, as, as EJ said earlier, you know, we learned about a lot of things that uh, you don't expect being a Met fan, whether it's uh, how businesses work, how le- how lawyer legal system works, how Ponzi schemes work, or you know basically uh, the med- the medical the medical guides of uh, just about every uh, known form of uh, surgery out there. Um, where can people find the stuff that you do? Because it is so between the videos you just mentioned and the and the the information you guys put out at the Fantasy Doctors, where can folks find it if they're not already familiar and, and get uh, more of your information? Because it's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. So you can find it on our website at thefantasydoctors.com, um, and, and all of our content is loaded up there. Um, but if you want real-time information as it's coming out, or even if you want to hear the breaking news or even have questions of athletes that you're following or teams uh, that you're following, you can follow us on Twitter at thefantasydoctors, so thefantasydrs. And uh, we field questions all the time throughout the day and throughout the week on specific uh, athletes that people are following and and our fans are following and and they want some more insight or or some more clarity on what's going on. So those are the two best And I know I've I've thrown you questions mid-game and you're great about getting back. So I I really appreciate that. And it's it's definitely helped me win a few Twitter arguments and that's not an easy task. (laughs) No, we, we, uh, we, and, and the good thing about us is actually for your fans who are listening, we follow all sports. So our team is constantly working 24-7, uh, you know, culling all of the information from soccer to rugby to, you know, football and, and basketball and, and MLB. So our team is real busy all the time. Well, appreciate your time. Appreciate your efforts. And hopefully we could talk soon, although maybe not too soon. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not a day where the baseball score is more like a football score. 
<laughs> exactly. Well, we'll talk soon. Appreciate it. And again, uh, thank you for your time. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Be well. Dr. Salon Parekh from the Fantasy Doctors, orthopedic surgeon from Notre Dame, and uh, just all-around good guy. And bring in the knowledge, sir. Bring in the knowledge. And uh, one thing that uh, came up while we were doing that interview is the Mets did announce that at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning will be the MRI on Noah Syndergaard. So that's a little follow-up on what we were talking about there. But uh, you know, it's he, he, Dr. Parekh is one of those guys that, uh, you know, much like our friend Maury Brown or, or others. Uh, come out of that interview going, yeah, I feel like I know more. I don't know why I needed to know this, but because I'm a Mets fan, I did. Yeah, unfortunately, as much as I, I really appreciate the doctor, as much as we love more, I'd like to talk to them less than we have to be Mets fans. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I said let's talk soon, hopefully not too soon. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Noah yeah. and Yo getting back ahead of the timetable next time. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that, uh, you know, it, it's um, – it's always good to talk to him and get the information because you're getting good information. At the same time, if you, it's it, you know, there's never a good reason. It's, it's you know, it's not like Santa Claus. You don't call you don't call to say Merry Christmas. It, it, there's always something. But uh, yeah. you know, EJ, e, e, I tell you, you know, the the thing about it is, is when we when we coming into the show today or coming into the game this today, um, I was thinking that the odds of the Mets sweeping was, was uh, you know limited. Uh, obviously that faded pretty quick not even not even with the score so much as with the uh you know the obvious injury to to Noah off the top there because you don't you know two major mountains to overcome at that point um I had planned on opening the show today with two out of three ain't bad by meatloaf and boy (laughs) you know talk about a two out of three sucks like heck I I don't know about you I cannot remember at the end of winning two out of three in any series recently in the last couple years where I have felt so down about a team as I do right now. Yeah, this was, uh, I was actually planning on going on a little rant about SMY's promotion of the series, the collision of the division, but it just feels like that would be hollow now after the events of this weekend. But you're right. I've never come into here winning two out of three in Washington, no less feeling equally as dejected. I feel there are still causes for, optimism uh i feel michael yes. conforto is finally being let loose they're letting him out of the cage and it needs to happen and when yo gets back he does not go on the bench i was so frustrated at one point during today's game i had taken to uh the radio broadcast and josh Thune was going on about how old the outfield's going to be when curtis didn't get or didn't die for a ball that it's questionable if curtis would have even came up with it if he had and he said well you've got 30-year-old uh, Cespedes to the left of him, and you're going to have 31-year-old Jay Bruce to the right of him. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Michael Conforto needs to be in there every day, and he is making it damn hard for Terry to make it any other way. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, this is, this is I mean, if, if ever there was one, at least for this season. Now, mind you, next season is a whole different story. Granderson's gone. I, I I mean, I suppose this is the slightest of possibilities the Mets could try to extend Jay Bruce after the season, but unlikely. I think we can label that unlikely at this point, even now. Um, the, uh, but the, the reality of it is, is if he is going to bump somebody out of the starting lineup at this point, this is his opportunity. This is the, this is the, uh, the golden torch. You either run with it or you put it out. And so far, he is running with it. And he has been the Michael Conforto that we've been promised 
showing no ill effects of his horrible season last year. He has looked good. He's looked good in the field. He's looked good behind the plate. He looks confident. He's hitting the ball with confidence. And he simply, I mean, he is simply being everything that he was hyped to be and everything he looked like at the end of 2015 before you know, the rest of the league figured him out. Um, I think that, um, I think you're absolutely right. I don't see a way you can keep Granderson specifically batting a buck 25, essentially, in the lineup if Conforto, now if Conforto comes back to earth and he has an 0 for 30 string when, well, by the time Cespedes comes back, you know what, it's almost June 1st. That's usually when Granderson heats up. Okay, if that's the way it's got to be. But right now, dude you know, has had 51 at-bats. He's batting 333. He's tied for the club lead in home runs with Cespedes and Bruce. Uh, you know, he's he, uh, only walked seven times, but 12 RBIs, which puts him, I think, it's he looking third on the team. Uh, he's, I mean, again, you're going to bench one of your top home run hitters. I mean, your top three home run hitters, Conforto, Bruce, Cespedes. Anybody know how yeah. many home runs that Granderson has? That would be one. And he's batting a buck 33 right now coming into today's action. Um, so, yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I, man, you can't, you can't not play this guy. He's one of your three best offensive players right now. Um, in every category. And so you have to play him. You absolutely have to play him. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to play him. And the one good thing you have working for you right now is the guy who he would be putting on the bench is the quintessential, just consummate professional who would get it. You wouldn't have to worry about Curtis being an unnamed source to the press about clubhouse stuff. You know he knows just how bad he's thinking it up. You know he's a prideful player, but... He is a team player as well. So I think that Curtis would handle it very well. He'd still get his at-bats. They'd find, they'd find a day where Bruce needs a day or where Yo needs a day coming back from injury. He'd still get some at-bats. But, yeah, when it comes to an everyday player, it, it needs to be Conforto. There's no doubt about it. He is doing everything that we hoped that he would do and, and even more. And like you said, he's done it in very limited at-bats. He's tied for the team in all these categories or second in these categories or third in these categories the dude basically didn't take a, a cut for the first two and a half to three weeks of the season. So, yeah, he, uh, he's definitely paying dividends. The home run off the lefty was as sweet as it gets for everyone who says that he can't hit lefties. And, uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm excited to see what a full rest of the season could produce for Michael Contorno. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing, too, is, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that uh, there are there are signs of life on this team at this point. And the fact that, I mean, even – even Jose Reyes seems to have gotten into the action in the last couple of days, you know, raising his batting average 73 points basically in the last week, um, which only takes him to a buck 73, but still it's 73. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you've got some of these things going on. You, you got, you got to get Walker going. You got to get Duda back. Um, but, uh, and you very well be, be hearing in the next day or two that the Mets have signed either Tim Lincecum or, or Doug Fister. Which brings me to it. I'm going to say this is an irrit. This is a. I'm going to go a little rant here, just a mini rant, EJ. So go with me here for a second of something that's really bothering me in Major League Baseball right now. These prissy prima donna pitchers and and to some extent offensive players too, who refuse to take a major minor league deal to go play at AAA for some team and sit home on their butts playing in their backyard and training. I'm sure they're training. 
waiting for that major league deal. Fister's at home waiting for that phone call. He's not playing anywhere at AAA, which means if the Mets have to go out and get a guy like this, or if anybody has to go out and get a guy like this, it's going to take a couple weeks to get him through extended spring training and a couple double A AA and triple A starts. Really? How did that help anybody at this point? I mean, that was the good thing. When Duda went down last year, you found James Loney toiling away in El Paso. Uh, you know, the, people are not taking these minor league deals anymore. They'd rather stay home. And honestly, dude, it's kind of pissing me off. Yeah, I get that. But I also get the, the insecurity of the athlete could definitely be a factor there. So if they take that minor league deal, let's say Fister had taken a minor league deal with the Mets and they sent him to Vegas. And right now he's sitting there getting shelled in Vegas. Are any of us going to think he's the viable option to get uh, called up? Now, there's no likelihood he's not going to get shelled in Vegas. But I guess probably if I'm an athlete, I'm worried that, hey, my one shot to get back in is to kind of sit home and be a prima donna. And when they call on me, go to an extended extended spring training, maybe I luck out and they only throw me in Brooklyn for a game or two and then bring me up to the bigs. So I kind of get it, but I get your point too. It's like James Loney was doing it the right way. It's like if you are a baseball player, it is your job to be a baseball player. You probably have financial obligations to family, and for you to say, you know what, I've made enough for right now. I'm going to wait till some team comes and offers me a big fat paycheck instead of going and actually doing my job. You know, and I mean, even even to a lesser extent, waiting for minor league deals. I mean, you know, it's you know, with the Mets and their their injuries right now, one of the guys that uh, is is toiling at Double A and and kind of getting into game shape, no fault of his own. I mean, he played in the WBC, didn't play a whole lot, and then got cut by his major league team almost immediately coming back to camp before the Mets picked him up and gave him a minor league deal. Cody Decker, man, if this yep. if that guy was ready right now, he's a guy that at the major league level. You could really use. No, he's not an all-star. He's an awesome guy, and I think he's a good player who could play a good bench role on a good team, quite honestly. But you know, not at a point where he's game ready for a major league baseball game at this point. And again, that that one's not his fault. That's not the player. That's on that's on the situation. But yeah, uh, it's just another situation where the Mets' hands are tied a little bit because of a player not being ready. You know, talking about bringing up talent from AAA right now, there's not a single pitcher other than Rafael nope. Montero, who I think we can safely say will be starting Friday night in place of Noah Syndergaard, that is even on the 40-man roster. They're, yeah. not, they're, they're not. They're not on the 40-man, which means they're not a – and the 40-man is packed. I mean, really, the only thing you could do with the 40-man right now is potentially put either Lugo or Matt on it. That's pretty much all you can do short of releasing somebody at this point. Um, yeah. There's just not a lot of flexibility with the 40 man. And so the Mets are in a really precarious situation. And I, I don't know about you, dude, but I, I, you know, I'm like anybody else. It, it sure would be nice to have someone to blame, but my logic circuits tell me there ain't no one person to blame here. It, it, it's a cluster. Yeah. I mean, there isn't anyone to blame because if you recall coming into this season, we were all talking about the abundance of starting pitching the Mets had that we, we were rich with that. And it turns out, yeah, injuries, sometimes they decide you have no riches. And that's kind of just what's happening right now. Um, the thought of Montero starting that game on Friday really just makes me cringe. I'd actually almost rather see Gil Martin in there, but we'll see how this all plays out this week. But, yeah, I mean, it, it just thinks that a team that had so much potential coming in right now has really kind of stumbled out of the gate, both 
from their performance on the field and the woeful offensive month that they had of April and uh, the injuries mounting up. And and let's face it, the stat that they heard today, I think it's 16, probably now 17 straight games now, the Mets have given up three runs or more. And with the pitching that we were supposed to be coming into the season with, that should never have ever happened in any month. And here it is. It's right out of the gate that has happened. So, just a, this is an April I'm very happy to turn the calendar page on. I'm just hoping that it doesn't make me want to turn it to next May in regards to Noah. But as far as the rest of the team goes, I mean, today was really deflating because they were actually talking during the broadcast how Jose Reyes had said just winning these first two games in the national, against the Nationals had completely changed the vibe of the clubhouse. He said everyone was able to relax a little bit, exhale a little bit, have a little more fun, and it seemed like they were – from the sound of what Reyes had said, it sounded like, oh, we were about to see that 2015 vibe coming out of this team again. And uh, you have to figure today was was just absolutely deflating. But I don't know. I think he'd rather lose in a 23-5 to game with Kevin Ploiecki on the mound than uh, have the Nats stomping up and down on home plate because they just got a 15th inning walk-off homer from Bryce Harper. So I kind of feel like – the Thor injury aside, from an actual gameplay perspective, this is a real easy game to leave in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's one of those that's going to feel demoralizing for long. I mean, the good thing is, I mean, you know, the Mets have a little bit of time now to get their crap together. Uh, and by that, I mean that they don't have to, I believe, mid-June is the next time. Yep, uh, June 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th is the next time that we face uh, the Nationals specifically. And logic would dictate that they'll probably be in first place at that point. I think that the, the Nationals, that is. Uh, but so it's really up to the Mets at this point how much significance they want that series to have. On paper, May looks like a slightly easier month. Uh, you know, you've got heading to Atlanta for four in their new stadium. Then you've got the Marlins head, uh, then, um, at home. You've got the Giants coming in. And they've, let's be honest, they've had a similar type season with uh, bizarre injuries, especially. Uh, you know, the fact that they are without Mad Bum for at least three months at this point after that um, horrific, uh, you know, accident, basically, uh, on his day off. And then you got the Brewers, D-backs, who've been surprisingly good. Angels are, meh. it's 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 a better month overall to, to reset and hopefully rebound. But quite frankly, if Noah's going to be down for any period of time, you have to bring in an outside arm. You just absolutely have to bring in an outside arm because – I think you you and I will agree on this, that, you know, the Mets have had, you know, that would leave the Mets with three good starters this year. Yeah. Right now, because Gesellman has not been good. Not at all. Mostly. Uh, And you can't have your four and five. You can have one of the two of Gesellman or Montero at the end of your rotation if you have to. And and pray that the off days, I mean, the couple off days in there that maybe you can skip one or two of them. But at the end of the day, you can't have them both. You cannot have those two at the back of your rotation, or you're basically saying, at best, we can take three out of every five games, at best. And that's not going to win you a division. That's not going to win you a wild card. Yeah, and compound with the fact that Wheeler is still getting his wheels under him, too. So he's not exactly going to be completely up to snuff yet. He's looked good at times, but he's also looked pretty bad at times. So if you're looking at... Jake, who's going to be great. Harvey, who you, you don't know what you're getting out of Harvey right now. I mean, that, the game the other day, they needed Harvey to go out there and just absolutely take the ball and say, I got this. 
and instead he goes out there and he just, you know, the bed again. So it's just like you don't know what you're getting out of him. You can't have four either unknowns or four just not going to be good. Mid-four ERA guys, you can't have four of them in a rotation behind Jake. That's too much pressure to put on Jake, and that's too much pressure on your offense, which is already struggling mightily. You there? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, just kind of cut your last word off there a little bit, so I wasn't quite sure there. But uh, thank you, Blog Talk Radio. But, um, yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I mean, and I think that that's the thing. I mean, you look at you look at the Mets. I mean, they went 10-14 and 14 in the month of, of April. Uh, six and a half out of first. Now, mind you, things would be a lot worse if they had lost all three games. Yes, because we would be, I believe, ten and a half out. I think, if if I'm not mistaken, um, had we lost the whole shebangy, because uh, we came in what we were at, seven and a half out, I believe. Yep, when we came in, so yeah, we would have nine and a half out. So nine and a half, yep. six and a half, I'll take over nine and a half any day. Uh, but the reality of it is, is the what's really interesting about this team now. The Nationals have scored a butt-ton of runs. I mean, way more than pretty much anybody in baseball. And that's not even counting today. I mean, they've scored 170 runs in the month of April. The closest team to that, that looking down the list I see, is the Diamondbacks at 139. That's the closest one behind them. The Mets, 103, which is not the worst. It's not like the Kansas City Royals who have scored 58 this month. Uh, But the big problem you don't expect with the New York Mets is they've allowed 128 runs, which is good for tied for second most in the league. Now, again, they gave up 23 of those today. So, I mean, you take that with a little bit of grain of salt, 23 of those were today. Uh, But a negative 25 run differential – is not what you expect with this particular team. You just don't. Um, and so it really comes down. I mean, there have been some bright spots. There's certainly been some bright spots in the bullpen. Um, I mean, you've, you know, our good friend Josh Smoker has been, you know, mostly awesome for us out there. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen some really good innings from some other guys. Familia, you know, is obviously just finding his feet. Uh, Edgen has been alternately brilliant and not so brilliant. But, um, and Addison Reed was thankfully mostly unstoppable when he was filling yeah. in the closer. But, you know, the, the reality of it is is that uh, you look at it, there's, you know, I, I, I'm not calling for any heads at this point because I think any change you make at this point is, is symbolic and it really, all it symbolizes is you're giving up on the season at this point, quite honestly, if you're Sandy. Uh, but yeah. some wholesale changes need to occur. And since you really can't change the coaching staff much at this point, and you can't change the personnel, that change has to come from within. And when I mean within, I'm talking the more new agey idea within. It's, it's you know, you got to find some fight in you people. Yeah, you need your guys to be better, and I think they will be. I don't think, knock on wood, I don't think the, the Mets are going to have another month as rough as this one from either an offensive standpoint or a pitching standpoint, barring significant injuries in, inside of that rotation. I do think getting Matt's back will be helped. I think getting Lugo back will be a help. Hopefully both of those things occur in May, um, as the doctor was alluding to. 
And uh, you need to get those troops healthy. You need to get them back up. You need to maybe have Perry tinker with this lineup a little. I can argue T.J. Rivera should be hitting much higher in the order than he is. But uh, I, I, as much as it stinks to be six and a half out after just the first month of play, I'm still very optimistic about this season. Now, that could be crushed tomorrow, barring the MRI results on Noah, but I still think this is a, a team that's got a lot of fight left in them and, and a lot of season left in them. You know, it's it's one of those things. I think that, uh, you know, I, I look at it and you look at the past couple of days and I mean, you know, obviously Noah is the stud. You want Noah, you want Noah out there. But the good news is the trade-offs are not too bad behind him. I think, you know, when you've got a guy who's going out there every five days, now if it was, you know, if it was, um, you know, say you and a Cespedes had Adam Eaton's injury instead of, yeah. you know, or, then I think I feel like, out for the season, season's over. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know that to me that the 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 um that it's a uh a an absolute death if we lose of season if we lose Noah Syndergaard. But we need Mats and Lugo back and we gotta pray that uh Lugo there there's still a chance he may need Tommy John surgery. That's not out of the question at this point if the rehab hasn't worked. So hopefully, you know, so far so good. But uh, if you're the knocking on wood type, you want to do that. But uh, we'll continue to follow this season. We'll continue to follow this year. But I uh, want to take care of some, uh, uh, what do we call it, family business, if you will, before we wrap things yeah, up? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I'm gonna, I've sent out a, a message to some of our, our loyal members earlier today on Facebook. Uh, I figured I should talk to them first, and we, we had some funny laughs about it. But uh, 11 years ago, we started up the Happy Recap message board. And uh, it started as a dedicated, albeit smaller, group of diehard Mets fans. And over the years, we all became really, really freaking tight. We call ourselves the Happy Recap family, and that is indeed what we are. We, uh, we've been through a lot together because we have all become close personal friends. And of the things we've gone through, I mean, we've gone through deaths of family members, deaths of children, cancer among our children, but we've gone through some amazing things births of children we actually have our very own happy recap wedded couple who met at one of our outings fell in love and are now married and and planning on spending the rest of their lives together we've been through so much with each other we've uh we've done the annual recap outing to city shea and city for many years and we've had a blast doing that one of my my all-time favorite internet nights was the night that you me and joe who was our other co-founder decided to do this thing and, and we were in a chat room together firing out names for for what this would become and when we finally hit the happy recap and you replied that's it it was just like it felt like victory all of a sudden and that night in that week that we were we were putting this thing together was so freaking exciting plus we were at war with another website and it was the greatest internet war of all time and we've had some threads on that message board that will absolutely make you laugh yourself silly to you to your crime and we've had some real heavy stuff hit that, that, that message board where the community has come together and supported each other and just overwhelmingly loved one another. And I'm really happy that social media exists because we're all still going to be friends. We're all still going to be able to be part of each other's lives and follow, follow the milestones of each other's lives. But I'm not happy social media exists because, unfortunately, it has killed the message board. I know there are still a few out there that somehow are viable, but... In the case of the Happy Recap, that's just not the case any longer. And we are going to be uh, shuttering the doors on our original tiers 
sometime in the near future. Uh, it just didn't make economic sense for us to keep the message board alive when we're all still having the conversations we were having just at a different avenue. We're, we're all going to still be active on Facebook. The actual Happy Recap Facebook page, I plan on making much more active in the coming weeks. Obviously, I have no lack of Twitter uh, presence. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty out there on Twitter, as are many of our members. And uh, we also are personal friends with each other on Facebook. So we're also going to be able to hang. We're just going to be doing it at a different neighborhood bar. But kind of a bittersweet day to, to have to make that announcement. But the writing's kind of been on the wall for a while. But, and, uh, hey, if you've never checked out the website before it's down, go check it out. You might find some, some really funny stuff, some inf- informative stuff. But it's been a hell of a ride with you, my friend. Uh, I've loved owning that thing with you. And, uh I just love that we're still going to keep this Happy Recap brand alive and well. We're just going to be doing it at a different neighborhood bar from there on. Absolutely. I mean, it's spawned a lot of great things. I mean, not just our friendship. I mean, because we, we were friends beforehand, but I think, uh, you know, the, the beginning of this website was the, you know, the, the, the cementing, if you will, of a lifelong friendship. So by, by all means, I think that's the, the greatest thing for me to come out of that the site between those of us who founded it and then Ryan, who came on later as a, as a co-owner as well. Um, and and the uh, the fact that we kept that thing going and you know the, yeah you're right the 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 monster that is social media it, in about 99% of uh, the internet has killed the message board and I think uh, we very stubbornly held out hope that uh, maybe there'd be a renaissance or whatnot and I I kept uh, oh well well maybe we cancel it next month oh let's cancel it next month oh, maybe next month let's give it one more month. And then the rates went up. So that was that was the end of that. <laughs> it was one of those things where the bill arrived, and I'm like, okay, guys, we got to talk. It's yeah. time to yeah, time to time to have that painful discussion that we've been avoiding for quite some time. But you know, I'm looking forward to uh, the, the uh, kind of the end of the the run. It, the the site will probably come down about a month from right now. Um, I'm, I'm guessing on or about the 28th of May will be the last day of the happy recap uh, message board. After that, uh, there'll be a couple of links on that website. We're not getting rid of the happyrecap.com. It'll link to our Facebook group. It'll link to um, it'll link to this show, which of course will continue onward um, as as kind of the two main legacies, if you will, of of the happy recap website. And uh, we'll also try and put together some resources if uh, you've got a long lost buddy that was on the the site and you want to try and find them before it all goes down that uh you know now's your opportunity and we'll help where we can to do that uh, a lot of us still talk but a few people have a uh, few good people have gone by the wayside that uh i don't know about you i'd, I'd be excited to reconnect with ej but uh the uh we'll, we'll have some sort of gathering probably on the uh probably on the facebook page uh at some point uh, a mock goodbye party i suppose but uh it you're right bittersweet's the right word it was it was the uh progenitor of what we do today and uh without that site uh you know as they say we'd have nothing you know it's funny i was thinking this today how perfect would today's game have been for a final happy recap game thread that would have just summed up everything perfectly i mean with the sarcasm that we have in many of our members and just the, the great sense of humor that we all had I feel like today would have been just perfect. So we hopefully, whenever we do do the uh, the send off, hopefully we get something kooky or crazy like today with minus the injury. Absolutely, and that's exactly what we'll do. It'll surround a game. We'll all sit around a computer, get strange looks. You know, most of us uh, with our spouses now, and 
you know, get the strange looks from the spouses, and uh, as we basically live uh, live Facebook a game, and them going, "Why are you talking about it while you're watching it?" But uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's it it'll bring back some good memories, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it because it's a uh, it's a cool thing, uh, a cool chapter that's coming to an end. But uh, since uh, you know, since the other chapters are already being written, we really don't have to say, um, you know, see what we've got next. We're already doing it. Exactly, my friend. We're we're still gonna be kicking it, and we're still gonna be uh, doing our thing like we've always done, just doing it in different forms. And uh, like you said, it's a big part of our lives. I'm sad to see it close, but I'm excited about the future, particularly the next couple of days in Atlanta, because I want to see this new ballpark. And I'm hoping the Mets put their stamp on it that it doesn't um, automatically become the new House of Horrors. Yeah, I I certainly. <laughs> I mean, it's so nice to go to Atlanta and not have to deal with Turner Field. I've heard. Uh, Quite a few uh, good and bad things about the new stadium down there, but uh, what I've heard, you the concourses are not fun; that they're very not wide. But um, the uh, hopefully that doesn't affect the play in the stadium, and the Mets, you know, let the psychology of uh, Turner Field flow away, uh, like the the road that gets out to the stadium, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I just hope Keith is on this trip because you know he will not be hesitant to point out any critiques that he has of the ballpark. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Any final thoughts, my friend? That's it. Let's just, you know, everyone pray to baseball Jesus that tomorrow around this time we're not getting the news that I think we all fear we might get. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it, it'll, be, um, you know it'll be an interesting day watching the uh, Twitters tomorrow, waiting for that first uh, beat reporter to have the scoop that uh, hopefully no damage was found. But, uh you know, just kind of keep your fingers crossed and, uh, you know, hands raised, as we would say on the happy recap, uh, that um, Noah and his stubborn bullet-headedness, youngest person-ish thing didn't just cost him big time. But uh, Def- you know, at the same time, like, like, the, like the good doctor said, uh, there's probably been some more going on in there for a while. So whatever they find is probably not brand new damage. Yeah, most likely, but hopefully tomorrow night the recap will indeed be happy. Absolutely, and we'll, of course, be with you again next Sunday. We'll have a guest along to talk uh, Mets baseball. We've got a couple irons in the fire. We'll let you know along the way who that's going to be. Again, if you want to uh, visit uh, the, the the requiem, if you will, for the Happy Recap message board, thehappyrecap.com is where you can find that. You can find the active version of the Happy Recap on Facebook. Just uh, search for the Happy Recap there. And, of course, you can find EJ at the Happy Recap on Twitter, and you can find me at The Real Hoove. And also uh, thefantasydoctors.com uh, is where you can find Dr. Slen Parekh and his team of awesome, awesome experts and the Fantasy DRS on Twitter at, of course, the little at thing in front of that. You can find them there. I have him on my must-follow list. I I strongly recommend it, whether not just a Met fan, uh, if you're a big baseball fan, if you're a big football fan, or if you like to play fantasy sports, these are all the things, uh, the information that you'll get that you need. It's great, great information, and uh, you'll you'll feel like you know the injury to your favorite player better than they do, uh, especially if you're Noah Syndergaard, apparently. But uh, until next week, thank you all, and let's go Mets. Thank you.